Welcome, and thanks for checking out this week's message from Generation Church, led by Pastors Ben and Melissa Pierce, located in Jupiter, Florida. We exist to empower every generation to find purpose in the message and cause of Jesus, so that together we can change the world. So if you're at home, work, or anywhere in between, you can have access to the weekend experience. Connect with us by visiting us at generationchurch.com or any social media platform using at genchurchfl. Now for this week's message. I have this, I love this, this uh, collection of series of messages that you're in, enemy of God. I thought that's really encouraging. It's great. Let's talk about the enemies of God, right? Great. Let's be an enemy of God. No, I, uh, but I love the idea because it is something that it ties into my own personal if I have a personal life message, it's this. So I get to talk about the thing that I, I am walking through the most. And so uh, let's pray. And uh, I want to talk about the, the uh, enemy of fear and worry. These twin enemies. They're not exactly the same, but they do go together really closely. Fear and worry. Uh, so let's, let's pray. God, I love you. I thank you for the privilege of being here today and the incredible team. For Josh and Melissa and taking care of me uh, and Jordan. God, thank you for just everybody that's put so much into making this moment happen. The worship team, the, 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 the AVL team, the parking team, the greeters. Everybody that's working with the kids. All to make a moment possible for people to encounter you and hear something from you. God, I pray that today we wouldn't miss that moment. Help me to do my part to communicate what you've given. And help us to all listen and hear what your word is today. In Jesus' name, amen. So fear and worry. Um, I'm, I'm an expert. Um, I, I worry. I don't know why, but when I was a kid, worry was like, that was my thing. You know, I loved football and I loved worry. Uh, just, I was a, it was something I got really good at to where I'd get a hangnail. And before the, I knew it, I was thinking, man, my fi- it might get infected. My finger may fall off. That's probably where this is going. Uh, later, as an older, uh, like in, in college, I got psoriasis. And it was like, that's probably leprosy. I mean, this, okay, we laugh, but that's exactly where my mind went. I get a headache, I've got an aneurysm coming. And I, so, you know, my wife, she's helped me a lot over 33 years, but I can kind of baby it when I get a headache or a stomach ache or whatever. And she's like, she's not the real nurturing kind. She's like, get up, you know, um, which has been good for me. I didn't need somebody to coddle that. But it, my mind races to whatever the worst possible. Don't give me a new medical term. You know what I mean? Like I can have something, you know, like, hey, my elbow hurts. But then I hear about 10, uh, like the Tommy John surgery. I'm like, man, maybe I need one of those. Because that's, that's my tendons just ripped. I, 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 it, it's, it's all too real. Like in, in sixth grade, I don't know what started it, but it became a vicious cycle of I was, maybe I just didn't want to go to school. I don't know. But I, I, maybe I faked being sick. Mom, I have a stomachache. Well, then I actually got a stomachache. And then I missed school because I had the stomachache. And then I started worrying, why isn't this stomachache going away? And I ended up, the whole vicious cycle of, of that ended up missing like five months of sixth grade, missing school. So if you, you got a kid who's like not want to go to school, that, don't teach him that because it worked for me. I missed a lot of school. But it, um, it was this, the doctors couldn't figure out what was going on. I probably needed something, a doctor not looking at my stomach, but looking at my head probably just needed somebody to give me and actually what pulled me through that moment was somebody giving me Philippians 4 6 and 7 don't worry about anything instead pray about everything tell God your needs and don't forget to thank him for his answers that verse actually helped pull me through that but it was still this it was an ongoing like it's something that had a grip on me of just worry and being afraid I couldn't tell you what I was worried about or afraid of 
but it was real. And what happened is it drained the life out of me. Over, those, over my, my life, it's like the worry and fear just tends to drain you. And think about our world today. I mean, we don't have to think hard. We're, it's probably on all of our minds. There's so much you can worry about. There's so much you can be afraid of. I mean, we're just talking in the car the other day, and he threw out uh, EMP, threw out this electromagnetic pulse. I had to think about it, figure out what he was talking about. Then I'm like, so for the next 20 minutes in our conversation, I'm sitting there thinking, Man, that'd be really bad. That's a really bad thing could happen. And that could happen. Like, I'm, I'm like it's, probably gonna, it's probably what's coming next, you know. <laughs> this is where if I don't control myself, that's where my mind goes. Just give me a term. And in the world today with COVID is enough right there. You could talk about a dozen other things that are facing our world. But there's plenty to worry about. If you take the scriptures away and take God out of the picture, there's a lot to worry about. I mean, there is. As we all get older. I mean, forget the events in the world. I'm getting older. I'm 55. I get cheaper golf. <laughs> I get even more strokes per dollar now. Um, it, it is, it's real. Like, it, there are things that you, you can worry about. And worry never helped anything. Matthew 6 makes that real clear. Worry never helps. But we still, there's plenty out there to worry about. And, but it drains your life. It drains your energy. It drains every, it's like kryptonite for us. They rob your ability to live in joy. And yet God promises all these things to us. So let me, let me give you, to me, the antidote for fear and worry. It's real simple. You could probably say it with me, but trusting God. Trusting God eliminates fear. It obliterates worry. If you actually choose to say, God, you got this. I'm your child. You've got me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move on. I'm going to trust you. It's so simple. Like we could just stop right there. You got the truth. I want to give you what, tell you a story that gave me the anchor that I hold on to. And what I'm praying for you is you'll, nobody will have my story, but you'll find it today an anchor you can hold on to. This is, it's turning for me. I hear God saying to me to trust me, um, trusting God for, for me. Uh, you know, I'd gotten through, you know, different milestones, like the learning that Philippians 4, 6, and 7. There's so many verses in the Bible we could talk about, but I was, uh, my dad and mom started Children's Cup, and so uh, back about 20 years ago, there'd been a storm go through Zimbabwe, where we had a bunch of work at Southern Africa, a bunch of, uh, a bunch of kids were feeding, telling about Jesus, and, and uh, a storm came through and really did, wreaked havoc. And my dad was like, we've got to go check on the projects. Would you want to come with me? And so I talked to my wife, and she'd just come through a miscarriage. And so we were, we always pray about it before I go on a trip, especially overseas. And so we talked about it, and we both felt like I needed to go, but we were very nervous about it. Because it was just like, we didn't know what it was. But we knew for a fact, God was like, this is something you need to go do. So I, reluctantly, because of the nervous feeling we had, I went. At the time, there's not like cell phones and stuff that really prevalent in Africa. So we were, uh, you know, the way it worked, we were in Baton Rouge. It's about 24 hours from the time you leave home until you get to the airport in Johannesburg, South Africa. It's like the Atlanta of Africa. Everything goes through there. So we get there, then from there we drive. It's, it's a drive, you drive all day, spend the night in the middle of nowhere, and then drive all day, you don't drive at night. In, in Africa at that time, it wasn't a nighttime driving thing, so just for safety. So we get to Johannesburg, and this was always my routine, is I get go up to the payphone. Anybody remember payphones? Yep. Went up to the little payphone, called my wife, said, hey, we made it to Johannesburg, you know, it's going to be a week or so before I get to contact you again, I just want to say I love you, Bob. see how it's going. 
She said, yeah, so this is great. I'll, I'll, you know, after I dropped you at the airport, I went to the doctor and I'm check out that lump in my neck. And I'm like, what lump? You ain't told me nothing about a, a lump in your neck. You know, I, I could have been worrying this whole time, you know? And she said, she said, oh yeah, it's nothing. You know, but he just looked at it and, you know, he just wanted, he, he said he wants to, to do a biopsy in, uh, on it in a couple weeks and, or talk, he wants to see me in a couple weeks to maybe do a biopsy on it. Uh, so we can make sure it's not cancer. She said the C word. Like, in my mind, I'm already lump and neck and then he, biopsy. And when she said the C word, I just fell on the floor, just just melted, emotionally melted down. I'm just like, I'm coming back. That plane, I could see it. It's right there on the tarmac. I'm getting back on that plane coming home. She's like, you're an idiot. <laughs> you would love my wife, by the way. Uh, she's, she's amazing. But she said... Um, which I guess is a spoiler. Obviously, she made it through. Um, but um, she, she, she took, she's like, talks me into staying. She's like, we prayed. We knew God wanted you to go. I'm like, well, maybe you just wanted me to get on that plane to come out here and then go right back. She's like, no, go do what you came to do. It's going to be two weeks before he sees me anyway. I'm like, but the whole time, those two weeks, cancer's going all over your body. And I'm not making fun of cancer, okay? This story does go somewhere. I'm honestly not. Because if you're walking through cancer, I'm, I'm telling you, I, I, this is going somewhere. But in my mind, I blew it up. Okay? And so I, it, was, it was too much for me. I, like, my mind started racing. Everything just, you know, the, when you have the bad news kind of thing come, and you think it's bad news, and, and it just overwhelms everything. Like, you can't think of anything else. This was me. So she talks me into staying, though. We go... And I'm just thinking, you know, those two weeks, it's, I'm going to come back. Maybe she's still going to be alive. This, again, I'm, I'm, I'm exaggerating, but I'm not. Like, this is really where my mind was going. So we get in the car, and I tell my dad and this missionary who actually still works with us at Children's Cup. My dad's passed on now, but, um, and my brother-in-law. We were all in the car. I'm in the back seat, and I'm sitting there in the back. And I'm not a hand ringer, but I'm wringing my hands. I tell them about it, and they're all, you know, encouraging, praying. You know, hey, this is going to be fine. And they're kind of level-headed about it, like, We'll see, you know, two weeks, we'll, we'll see what's going on. But I'm sitting there wringing my hands, playing with my ring, you know, ringing and playing with my, my ring. And I, I, I remember sitting there looking at it, going down the highway. And I'm just like, this symbolizes her. Uh, this, and I'm just looking at the ring, remembering our wedding and getting all dramatic about it, honestly. Like, it was, it was pretty, you know, thinking back, I'm like, that was pretty dramatic. She's going to the doctor, you know. And I'm like, ooh. And, um... Just studying, thinking what it symbolizes. Well, we get that night, we get to the, to the place we're spending the night because the next day we got a full long drive, sun up to sundown, so that we don't get in trouble driving at night. And I have this thing that when I sleep I, on, the, on, a, on a mission trip, I always take my baseball cap off and put everything valuable in my cap on my nightstand. Well, I did all that, and uh, next morning we get in the car. We're about two hours down the road, and I'm still in the car. Just And what's going on in my head is... I got one voice just screaming, and I can't hear anything else, really. It's just screaming at me. She's going to die. You're going to be a single dad. You're going to be a widower. She's, she's going to die. Like, that's just raging, screaming loud. And then there is another voice saying, just trust me. I can't hear it. can't really pay much attention to it because the other's so loud. And I'm so consumed, and I'm giving in to hearing this other voice. But there was that voice saying, trust me. Trust. Trust and so I'm looking down at my ring. I start, I have my hands, I'm wringing my hands. I reach down and I'm going to pull my ring off and look at it. It's not there. My ring's back, somehow fell out of my baseball cap back at that, that place we stayed halfway. 
And I'm like, I just, that was it. I'm done. Like it's symbol, the symbolism of losing my ring. I'm losing her. It was so real to me in that moment. And I told my dad, <laughs> my dad was a very compassionate person normally to, other, to the little kids in Africa. He's great compassion. But he's like, to me, he's like, dude, it's a $300 ring at service merchandise. You'll be fine. We'll buy you another one. Let's go. You know, I'm like, okay. and that was probably wisdom. I should have just taken it, but I couldn't, I couldn't handle it. I'm like, this is, I'm, I'm like in tears. I'm just, I'm a wreck. The missionary guy, he starts turning the car around. I'm like, no, man, now we're going to die on the road. I won't even be alive when she dies. You know, like, Ugh. everything's falling apart. So we get back, we, we're going around the corner. And again, as we were going back, raging voice, she's going to die. Quiet voice. Trust me. Trust. Just trust. And it's like I'm blind to the idea that God may have something he's up to. I couldn't see it. I could not find a scenario that was like, okay, God, I'm going to trust you. And this is all going to be okay. I couldn't get my head around it. It was like, just can't see it. It's like you've never tasted a pork chop before. You don't know what it tastes like. You know, I couldn't, I couldn't get my head around how this could even be something. So I didn't even linger on that thought. I lingered on how bad things are going to be. But God's just saying, trust me, trust me. So we get to the, we come around, get off the highway. It's about, about a mile or so down a dirt road to this place we're staying so they could see us coming. The dirt's kicking up. We pull around the gate and there's about a 20 or 21 year old guy standing there. He weighs about 120 pounds, you know. He's standing there doing this. I don't know what's in his hand, but he's standing there outside the gate doing this. I get out of the car and the thought starts crossing my mind. I wonder if what he's holding is my ring. And I thought, there's no way. It's a $300 ring. Service merchandise in the U.S., that's not a real expensive ring, even in 88, right? Anybody got a 1988 wedding ring? You're probably not anymore, right? <laughs> Had a little five little itty-bitty tiny diamonds on it to be cool. That was amazing. Um, and, his, and he, you know, if, I was thinking if they found it, he'd, he'd have sold that and made a year's wages off of that, more than that. So I'm like, even then I'm denying it, and God's just saying, trust me. But I walk up, walk up, actually run up to him, scared him to death, and... <laughs> I'm, I'm like 270 at the time. I wasn't quite as big as I am now. But to, so I, I go up there and he just reaches it out. And there's my ring in his hand. And I'm like, I took it and I was like, I took everything out of my pockets to give to him. That was like a hundred Zimbabwe dollars, which the economy then, that's about enough to buy a piece of bread. But it's all I had. I'm just, dude, take it all. And I thanked him. It's like, I wanted to bear hug him, but I probably would have broken him. And so I, I turned to get back in the car and the thought hits me. I need to, I need to know this guy's name because I got to tell Vicky this story. So I turned and I was like, hey, you know, he's already turned to start walking off. I said, hey, man. And he's kind of like, what? He's, I said, hey, can, I, can you tell me your name? I'm, I've just got to tell my wife about this. You know, she may be dying, but I got to tell my wife. And he said, he said, me? My name is Trust. And I was like, it sounds like you said Trust. What, what did you say? He said, T-R-U-S-T, Trust. And at that moment, it's like God just, just said, dude, listen to me. Like, it's like, you know, you, you grab somebody by the shoulders and just say, listen to me. I got this. And it got through to me. It was like, have you ever seen those videos of uh, somebody who's colorblind and they put those glasses? If you've never seen, you got to look it up on YouTube. You put those glasses on that let them not be colorblind anymore. doesn't work for everybody that's colorblind. So I'm not like giving false hope to you if you're colorblind, but you put the glasses on all of a sudden they see color. That's what that was like for me. It was a moment where just like all of a sudden I could see, wow, God does have this. I don't know how it's going to play out, but I saw colors I couldn't see before. 
so to speak. I saw something I couldn't see about God before when the message got through that I can trust him. So, I mean, I didn't get a call in that moment that Vicky's, you know, she's fine. Well, I had to go the rest of the 10 days, but I, it wasn't a, a chore. I don't remember worrying about her the next 10 days on that trip. I remember going to visit the kids and seeing the projects and fixing things that we needed to fix and dealing with what we needed to do. Get back, she goes to the doctor, does the biopsy, and they're like, no cancer. I'm like, great, woo, great end of story, right? Well, that's like the year 2000, 2014, 2017. We go to the doctor, she's been having this wheeze in her lung, thus the name Wheezy. Um, <laughs> and they've been treating like his asthma or something, some breathing treatments. She finally goes to a doctor in California, and they're like, yeah, let's do a biopsy on that. Let's see what's going on. Let's do some scans and see what's up. They find a lump in her throat. They're like, we're sitting in her, her doctor's oncologist's office, sitting next to each other. He's going to tell us about the scan. He says, yeah, it's cancer. And it's really, it's a very uh, difficult one to deal with. It's very, um, he says, it's like an angry troll. But it doesn't move much. You may have had this your whole life. It doesn't move very fast. But it's, it's really, it's pretty serious. And then he stepped out of the room. He was going to you know, t- work on how he's going to tell us he wants to, to work with it. And we t- so we had nothing. We didn't know what was going to happen. We turned to each other and we just looked at each other. And it was like, I asked her, I said, why aren't we freaking out? We just, like, literally that moment you see in movies, you hope it's only in a movie you ever have to deal with it. But we just had that moment. God's, you know, the, the doctor's like, you've got cancer. And neither of us are freaking out. For me especially, that was like a... How in the world am I not freaking out? And I know, and we talked about it, it goes back to that moment where the kid said, my name's trust. You just choose to trust God. What else are you going to do? What, a worry's not going to fix her cancer. So I choose to trust God. And she sat there in that office and she said, well, worst case, I got heaven. And that didn't freak me out, you know? I'm like, yeah, you got heaven. I still got to stay here. It, <laughs> Didn't bother me. I'm like, I'm good. We're going to go through this. And he comes back in and he says, hey, what, what, all we got to do is, it's like in a part of your lung, we just kind of pull that part out. It's contained in one little lobe of your lung. We'll pull that out and you'll on to the next, you know. And, but in the process of doing the scans for that, they found four or five other spots that were things that they've now dealt with. And it's all been surgery, cut it out. Surgery, cut it out. She had five surgeries. And uh, every time they just, they just get it, they go in and get what they got to get. But they, through the process, they said, May, it might be a good idea to do chemo. So we did that. That was horrible. Um, but even all the way through it, it has been trusting God and we're going to be fine. And she just, she, she's amazing. She really is. But that's not the, the point of this. It is the, God is amazing. God is, he can be trusted. And he is, she's holding on to a promise that he gave her that you know, non-stick and 90 is how we put it. It's like that nothing else is going to stick. If something's metastasized, whatever, nothing else is going to stick, and she's going to live to see 90. I told her when she told me that, I was like, I'm five years older than you. I don't think this needs to see 95. <laughs> Ask me when I'm 94. I might feel different. But So you may be on your own a little bit, Vicky, but uh, I said, we're in. So now it's just this journey. How do we walk it out? What do we, what do we face? So she's right now, the... the process is they the last scan showed a couple little tiny things on her liver and they're like uh can't really do anything about it yet anyway let's just keep watching so we're doing a keep watching we're going to keep watching the scans but we're also watching what god's doing and i'm i'm not in a spot where i'm saying god thank you for cancer but i have debated about that it's been such a journey of faith for my family for all of us all seven of us in my household or my, my family are 
or my son-in-law, my daughter-in-law, my, my grandson. It's like, it has been a faith journey for us that we, I don't know if we'd have had it without that. Like we've just, we've, everybody in my family has decided I'm going to trust God through this. So yeah, it's, it's pretty good. It's a pretty good situation. And you know, you, you think about that, the video you watch with people putting the colorblind glasses on and how the big burly guy starts boohooing, like it's so beautiful, you know, and it's, it's amazing. I watched that with one of my kids and he said, dad, I, I would never take those glasses off. And I thought that's exactly it. I don't want to ever take the glasses off that say I'm trusting God because it lets you see things differently. You see COVID come around and boom, or second, third, 18th wave of COVID comes around. I'm so sick of this. And then you're like, oh, let me put the glasses of trust on. And then you see something else that's going on. This is not, this life is not about us being comfortable and everything being smooth and go back to 2019 when there was no COVID and it was so great. 2019 was not a perfect year. You know, there were still problems in the world. So let's move forward, trusting God and see what he's doing through all these, the challenges. And we all have the COVID challenge, but everybody, each, everybody in this room, you got a challenge. And you know, when, you, when I'm talking about trusting God, you know what he's saying. You need to trust me with that. And so that's what I want to encourage you with today is to trust him in trouble. Trust him when all is well. Sometimes that's a little harder. You kind of forget that you need to trust God. Everything's going great. It's been wonderful. You know, business is booming. And my kids love me. My wife loves me. You still trusting God? Or are you just putting your trust in the fact that you're, everything's going good? Trust him in trouble. Trust him when all is well. And trust him relentlessly and tenaciously. Uh, four thoughts on that one. God will rescue us. Here's homework for you. Some of us have been a little while since we were in school, but here's some homework for you. Psalm 18. It's too long to read it right now. Incredible chapter. You want to see... A God who is, I, I don't know how to say this right, he's ticked off because his kids are in trouble and the enemies are after them. And this is God coming to the rescue. I don't know if you can say he's a bad God in that moment, but that's kind of what it feels like. He is just, he's like coming after his kid. I just, I love that. I, I love that chapter. So I, I would recommend you read that Psalm 18. Uh, next thought is God always has a plan even before the problem. He is God. He did say, let there be light. And when he said, let there be light, he knew COVID was going to be around. He knew it was coming. So he still said, let there be light. So he has a plan even before the problem. Romans eight twenty eight is proof of that. Uh, God's plan wins. Like my plan was not COVID. My plan was not my wife has cancer, but God's plan wins. Jesus prayed in the garden. Hey, if there's any other way besides the cross, let's do that. But then he ended with, I know your plan wins, so I want to do it your way, not my way. That's how I want to live. I want to live my life that way, trusting him. And then the last, last thought with that is God brings purpose to our pain. He never wastes our tears. The pain that you've gone through, the pain that we, my wife and I have gone through with, with uh, uh, I say my wife and I, she's the one who went through chemo. She's the one who's had the surgeries. But the pain, the challenge that that's been, God's not wasting that. It's changed my family's life. And God's given her a voice in something she never thought she'd have a voice in. God has a huge plan for your life. And somebody will get to spend eternity in heaven because of you. If you'll trust God in everything and let his purpose prevail. If you trust him to take you there, he will. And it will change everything. Trusting God changes everything. It makes you like, I play Mario Kart. Anybody? You get that star prize? Oh, yeah, you can run over anybody, anything, go anywhere you want. You know, it's like, this is amazing. That's what trusting God is like. It just, 
It's just, it's a super smart button, you know, just boom, and it's all good. And it, no, it's not all good. Everything, cancer is still there in my wife's body. You know, there's still COVID-19. There's still the challenges you have in your world. But trusting God changes your perspective about it completely. Cause, and here's, here's what our anchor is, is not, I'm going to get healed every time I ask for healing in the moment that I ask for it. What I do have as an anchor is heaven. That is, that is an absolute guarantee that's coming and I'm going. Um, so here's the thing. Trust God no matter what it takes because trust, er- trust erases fear and worry that rob your life. So here's how to get started. I got five thoughts on how to get started. I'll do this real quick. Ask for help. <laughs> Pretty simple, right? Ask God to help you. Mark 9, there's a, a verse in there that says, what do you, so this guy had come to Jesus and said, hey, it'd be great if you could heal my son. Uh, he said, if you, if you could heal my son, it'd be great. And Jesus, I love this verse because it's Jesus a little bit like, he says, if I can, like, <laughs> do you know who you're talking to? You know, but he says, if I can, he said, anything's possible to him that believes. And this dad, coolest prayer ever, I think he just said, I believe, help my unbelief. Like, I don't, which is it? Do you believe or not? You know, but he's saying, help my unbelief. I want to believe. I know you can, but I just don't, it's not there yet in me. Help my unbelief. First thing, ask for help. Second one, get busy serving somebody else. If I spent my life sitting there watching my wife go through surgeries, I'm missing something. She's missing something. We need to serve somebody else. We are built to serve other people. That's why getting a, being a part of the dream team here is great. It's not just that, though. It's like people in your home need you to serve them. People in, at your work need you to serve them. It's like there are people in need. Help them out. Point them to Jesus. Third idea, focus on praising God. Like just actually remind yourself God's actually big. Fourth one, remind yourself about eternity. Heaven is real. Whatever happens here, I got a ticket to heaven. And I'm going to spend eternity there. Worst case, I got 100 years here of horrible, terrible, nothing worked out well. I got eternity in heaven. And then the last one, and this is, this is the beautiful one that I've just started to, to dive into myself, but it's to settle into his love. Just settle into it. It's there. It's there for you. It's real, and it's right there for you. Settle into it. Lean back into it. Lean into it, whatever. First John 4, 18 says, Perfect love expels all fear. If you're afraid, what did you do when you were a little kid and you're afraid? Run to mom, run to dad, run to somebody you felt safe with. Run to Jesus. Settle into his love. 1 John 4, 16 says, we know how much God loves us and we've put our trust in his love. I don't know that I know for sure how much God loves me. I know it's a lot, but I don't know if I can totally get my head around how much it is, but it's enough. What I do understand is enough. I'm gonna say, I'm gonna put my trust in his love for me. We hope you enjoyed this week's message, and we can't wait to hear how God is moving in your life. Join us live each weekend, either in person or online at 9 or 1030 a.m., and go and inspire a generation to follow Jesus.